Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. We have to lift the Muslims, their understanding. We have to enhance their thinking. So are we then wedded to these four madahib? This is what we uh, we should aspire for and work for in our times. Creating scholarship right. which lifts and goes beyond these small limits and compartments. I've, I've surprisingly kept with you in this discussion. So stagnation is destroying our ummah. The application is a bit too liberal, it seems to me, at the moment by some scholars. Celebrating the Prophet ﷺ's birthday, that seems to be a very controversial subject on, on social media. There was a time when following Islam was a fairly straightforward affair. Most Muslims lived in communities that were inhabited by their forebears, and the existence of Islamic institutions, madrasas and courts gave Muslims, wherever they resided, a predictability in life. Colonialism, war and globalization have ended these certainties. We find ourselves without these anchors in life and are left unmoored. My father came to the UK after years of migration. This was a form of trauma experienced by millions who no longer could rely on the layers of religious and practical learning that cemented generations. In many ways we have all had to relearn Islam. But with that mission comes many intellectual challenges. How do we approach Islam and who has the right interpretation? How do we navigate the minefield of Islamic opinions? In the West, some modernist scholars have called for a wholesale evaluation of classical fiqh. What about ease and harm, extremism and moderation in Islamic jurisprudence? Are we wedded to the former dhahib? How do we approach new issues? My guest today is Dr. Shaib Wani. He is the director and co-founder of Dar al-Ilm Institute. His course on the Islamic worldview is currently running and is available online. The links are available in the show notes. He grew up in Indian-occupied Kashmir and started his quest to learn Islamic ulum during his schooling years. He completed his foundational Islamic studies in India and Al-Azhar University. He devoted 10 years studying advanced Islamic studies specializing in usul al-fiqh at the International Islamic University, Malaysia. He holds a PhD in the legal thought of Imam Shafi'i, 
which was published in 2021 and he holds 20 years experience of teaching Islamic ulum and he now lives here in Istanbul with his family. Now just a note, if you like our show, please do remember to subscribe to our channel. This will help get the message out. To support and help us grow The Thinking Muslim, sign up to become a Patreon. Links in the show notes. Dr. Shaib Wani, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to The Thinking Muslim once again. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Zakallah khairan, brother Jalal, for having me again. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us sincerity in ilm and amad. And may Allah make this engagement uh, fruitful, inshallah. Ameen, inshallah ta'ala. Now, Dr. Shaib, last time we spoke, we had a very extensive discussion about Islamic fiqh and how do we approach Islamic fiqh. And um, I want to go into a little bit more depth and detail today about, I suppose, what you call the Islamic worldview, the framework we need to adopt as Muslims as we approach or when we approach the Sharia. So I want to go into some level of detail today, and I'm sure, alhamdulillah, uh, based on the discussion we had previously, that you would enlighten us on how a Muslim should view Islamic jurisprudence. Now, I want to first start with maybe some very general guidelines. So we learn from our study of Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the deen as and the ummah as ummatan wasata. So this has been interpreted as maybe the middle nation or the ummah that charts a middle course. How should we understand the ummatan wasata idea? Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Amma ba'd. As we know as Muslims that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called us ummatan wasata. And wasat here means al-adl as explained by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself in the hadith of Imam Ahmad. Al-adl, just, balanced ummah. And this quality defines the ummah. And it has been connected in the Quran with the shahada, with the masala of being a witness mm. over mankind in this dunya and akhirah. In dunya, so that we can establish Islamic system mm. and uh, show the mankind the khayriya this ummah contains. And on the last day also, we have to fulfill this responsibility. In the hadith of Sunan al-Tirmidhi and other works, mm. the Messenger of Allah sallallahu has said on the last day, uh, Nuh alayhi salam, and in the narration of Ahmad, a prophet will come and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask him about the responsibility given to the prophet. Did he fulfill it? Uh, of course, this prophet, his answer will be, yes, I fulfilled my responsibility. Yeah. But when the nation will be asked, they will deny that the prophet fulfilled his responsibility. Mm. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask Nuh salam, or a prophet, according to the narration of Ahmad, to bring his witnesses because your nation is denying. Mm. And he will say, my witness is Ummah of Muhammad. Yeah. Such is the responsibility of the Ummah in dunya and akhirah. However, in intellectual realities, uh, however, intellectual realities are different from the physical tangible realities. Like a line which has certain dimensions, 
we can understand the extremes and uh, the middle of that line intellectual realities are not like physical tangible things mm. so wasat does not always mean middle path because in the times of second strangeness as the prophet sallallahu himself said in a famous hadith that islam will become strange or a community which does not practice islam anymore a normal practicing muslim would like uh, would uh, uh, seem an extremist yeah. in his approach yeah. not because he is going to extremes but because of the lacks in the practice of the community so we have to explain the intellectual realities al-haqaiq al-ilmiya must be explained according to what they necessitate so in this particular theme ummah being wasat we must determine the qualities of the ummah uh, which help the ummah in uh, civilization building mm. and removing the hurdles in the path of fulfilling its mission so there are many intellectual diseases and sicknesses which have creeped into the ummah in our times and they have become a hurdle in the path of becoming ummatan wasata so wasat in uh, arabic does not mean moderation on middle path in right. principle yeah. it means uh, the best of everything the best of everything right or a just balance like the prophet himself explained even the early uh, poets of jahiliya yeah. they understood the term wasat in this manner like uh, the famous jahili poet zuhair ibn abi salma says wasatun yardha al-anam bihukmihim he is praising some people who created a reconciliation in a famous uh, war which happened in the times of jahiliya the war between the two uh, tribes of uh, abs wa zubian mm. so it lasted for 40 years it is from the longest wars which have happened in the times of jahiliya uh, so he is praising these people who created reconciliation so he he says wasatun they are the best the most noble mm. they are the best people yardal anam bi hukmihim id nazalat ihda al-layali bi mu'dhami when they enter or when they give their judgment people accept their judgment because they are the best mm. and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the quran has also used the term wasat in the same meaning qala mm. awsatuhum the best amongst them gave advice to the believers mm. so wasat is one of the main qualities of the ummah and it should be understood uh, in the light of quran and sunnah itself mm. yani extracting the qualities uh, and the principles which help the ummah in establishing uh, the responsibilities which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them. We'll talk about uh, these responsibilities and yeah. the meanings of uh, wasat yeah. more when, while we proceed, inshallah, with the discussion. Right, because, uh, of course, when we approach Islam, um, I, I find that there are two groups of people. There are some people who, when they approach the Islamic fiqh, uh, they want to find all of the easier opinions 
and subscribe to those easier opinions. And then there are other groups of people who, when they approach Islamic fiqh, they want to embrace the hardest opinions or those opinions that may be the strictest. And these become totalizing worldviews, whether it's ease or whether it's, it's strictness. Is there necessarily a problem with that way, that mindset of approaching the Islamic fiqh? The problem is with the thinking patterns, right? how we approach the text, yeah. and generally how we are carving the Islamic worldview mm. in our times. Yeah. So as I said, we have these intellectual sicknesses of stagnation, reductionism, oversimplification, and other uh, intellectual sicknesses, right. which are uh, becoming a hurdle in the path of fulfilling this mission of, uh, or becoming Ummat and Wasata. Explain stagnation, for example, to me. Stagnation is when we are not able to uh, nurture and harness the texts in extracting the civilizational principles. Mm. We talked about khilaf in the previous podcast. Difference not of being, opinion. Not being yeah. difference of opinion. Not yeah. being able to harness this difference of opinion in civilization building. Right. For example, the ulum which were extracted from the Book of Allah which is the foundation of all the foundations, the foundation mm. of all, all ulum. Mm. Uh, we, we are not able to turn these ulum into the principles of civilization. Mm. Take the example of Ilm al-Hadith, which deals with uh, authenticity of uh, the narrations from the Prophet. Why can't we turn it into a methodology of history? Uh, evaluating the historical narrations and mm. history generally. Right. We talk about Sahih al-Bukhari. Yes. Which is the best book after the book of Allah. And we use it in polemics between the Hanafis because Imam al-Bukhari has criticized Hanafis in many of uh, his chapters. He was humbly? There is a disagreement about this masala. Some yeah. scholars consider him a mujtahid mutlaq. Okay. He was a polymath scholar, free thinker. Yeah. But Imam Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, in Fathul Bari, yeah. he uh, calls him a Shafi. He says the fiqhi uh, opinions which he has adopted in Sahih al-Bukhari, mm-hmm. he has taken it from Imam Shafi, right. Shafi Malhar. Yes. Whatever be the case, the point is we uh, fall into reductionism and stagnation. See Sahih al-Bukhari. Why can't we use the chapterization? Because one of the great things in Sayyid al-Bukhari is how he arranged the knowledge. Mm. So arranging knowledge is a very important muscle of epistemology. Right. Arrangement of chapters. As they say, fiqh al-Bukhari fi abwabihi. The fiqh, understanding of Bukhari, lies deep in the arrangement of the chapters. Mm. Why can't we turn it into research methodology? In our times, uh, as, as a student of uh, Islamic studies, you have this, and in all social sciences, you have this subject, they teach you research methodology. Mm. Imam al-Bukhari is one of the finest minds in research methodology. Yes. For example, in, in recording a hadith, the main hadith, which is the main principle in the chapter, he uh, narrates it with a full chain. Mm. And a supportive hadith, he deletes the chain. Like, we do in research methodology. Yes. We give the references, the style, whatever. So instead of 
creating polemics between Hanafis and Muhaddithin, why can't we use Sahih al-Bukhari mm. as a guide for research methodology? We have some great linguistic philosophers in our history. Mm. Usul al-Fiqh deals with linguistic philosophy. For example, we have some uh, scholars who, who uh, adopt this out-of-the-box methodology, like Imam Ibn Taymiyyah. Yes. I was reading recently, uh, some uh, contemporary scholars have tried to understand the similarities between the linguistic philosophy of Ibn Taymiyyah and uh, some contemporary Western philosophers like Ludwig Wittgenstein mm. in understanding the language and the structures of the language. Mm. So on and so forth. So we can uh, nurture the ulum and turn them into civilizational uh, principles. Mm. And also uh, fiqh the example of the fiqh, we discussed about fiqh in the previous podcast. Yes. How can we extract greater great principles? Like we have uh, the, the methodology of maqasid al-sharia mm. in fiqh. Why can't we make it uh, a foundation for understanding the, uh, the higher principles of law? So... This is how we how we should approach. So, so I'm getting from you that there needs to be a deeper thinking about our Islamic ulum than just to utilize it to answer uh, some very basic questions that Muslims must face in life. Is is that am I have I understood that correctly? We have to answer the basic questions of life. Yes. We have to guide Muslims about rituals, about the masail they face, about nawazil, new yeah. matters, yeah. new changes in realities. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, we have to lift the Muslims, their understanding. We have to enhance their thinking. And those right. who are engaging with these matters, those who are responding to Muslims and creating a change, trying to create a change between Muslims, they must understand these matters in a profound manner. Yes. Yeah. T tell me, um, do you believe that when Muslims uh, decided to rigidly stick to the four madhahib, generally speaking, the most, the, the largest uh, quantity of the Muslims, uh, they follow one of these four madhabs. Uh, has that led to a stagnation of thinking in the Ummah? I don't think so. Mm. Because we have to understand that these four madhahib, they are legal systems. They are not individual opinions right. of particular scholars. Explain that. Legal systems. They are legal systems. Yeah. Legal system is a system of or we can say it is a legal methodology yeah. in which we have higher principles of engagement with the law right. and also uh, principles of extracting the ahkam from the texts. Mm. So we have a mujtahid, mutlaq. We talked about that yeah. in the previous podcast. So Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad, Imam uh, Malik. Malik. These are mujtahid, These are mujtahid, yeah. uh, mutlaq. Right. Mutlaq being complete, comprehensive. They have their principles. Right. They establish the madhab. And then after them, uh, we have a generation of scholars who mm -hmm. engage with uh, extracting uh, the solutions to the mo uh, problems. Yes. In, uh, in fiqh, we have the focus is more on legal problems. But generally, the scholars engage in uh, extracting the solutions for all affairs of life. Yeah. 
extracting the solutions based on these principles. Right. And again, we must understand that madhahib are not only four. There were other madhahib. We had great mujtahidun in the ummah before uh, the four imams, right. from sahaba, from tabi'een. But all their fiqh culminated in these four madhahib. Right. The fiqh of the sahaba culminated in the four madhahib. That's why you will find generally the opinions, uh, all of them, they don't cross these four madhahib. They don't go beyond. They don't, they don't go beyond right. these uh, four madhahib. So are we then wedded to these four madhahib? We are wedded, yes, to the four madhahib. Yeah. But it does not mean that we can't go beyond the four madhahib in yeah. some masai because the uh, agreement of the scholars or the majority uh, is not an agreed upon evidence in our religion as ijma right. ijma consensus is an agreed upon evidence right. and the majority opinion is given preference you can use it as a tool of uh, preference mm. and we have for example in the sunni uh, mainstream Thought yeah. we have other madhahib also like the Zahiri madhab. Yeah, Imam Ibn Hazm is also one of the greatest thinkers yeah. uh, produced really? with all his mistakes yeah. and uh, tafarudat mm. or opinions. Yes, he is one of the greatest minds. And uh, before these four madhahib, we have yani, talking about the method methodology and how Muslims uh, engaged with the texts and the reality, how great they were in their thinking. We must understand these matters. Before the four madhahib, mm -hmm. we have uh, the great, uh, call it dualism, or whatever you want to call it, between uh, the madhab of Ahlul Hadith and the madhab of Ahlul Rai. Mm -hmm. The madhab of, by madhab of Ahlul Hadith, we mean Imam Malik mm -hmm. in Al-Madina. And madhab of uh, Ahlul Rai in Iraq. The mother of Abu Hanifa. Yeah. So we have this rift between the two, two madhahib mm -hmm. until Imam al-Shafi'i came and he tried to uh, merge the madhahib to create a bridge. Yeah. And this is the topic of my research also. Really? Yani, uh, trying to understand a balanced or create, trying to create a balanced approach in interpretation of the texts yes. between uh, ultra textualism mm -hmm. of Ahlul Hadith and lose the rationalism of Ahlul Rai. Right. And by rationalism, we don't mean that they don't use texts. Yeah. Some Western academicians, Orientalists, they have used these terms in a very wrong manner. Right. So rationalism of Hanafis does not mean that they did not believe in Quran and Sunnah. Hmm. It was their approach. So Imam al-Shafi'i, he came and he tried to reconcile in order to, uh, in order to create a bridge. Hmm. So that, again, wasat, in uh, the methodology of interpretation. Right. And uh, a scholar who uh, elevates himself above uh, these small compartments, mm. he's usually misunderstood. Tanawa yes. in, in a scholar, the diversity. So uh, you will see that all groups try to attribute their opinions to him. Yeah. For example, here, and this is a very deep academic topic. I will not go into the intricacies. Try to make it, keep it simple. Imam al-Shafi'i, after uh, he created this method, both Zahiriya, the strict uh, textualism, 
Literalism. Lit- literalism. Yeah. So we said textualism is Ahlul uh, Hadith. Mm. Literalism. Yeah. And the Maqasid uh, discourse. They both came from the same uh, source, from Shafi Madhab. Right. So both attribute themselves Shafi Madhab because uh, Dawud al Zahiri was a Shafi. Mm. Dawud al Zahiri was a Shafi scholar. Mm-hmm. And in Negating the authenticity of Qiyas analogy, mm. he says, I was uh, influenced by the discussion of Imam al Shafi or the evidences of Imam al Shafi against Istihsan of right. Hanafis. Right. So he negated uh, Al Qiyas. And uh, the first scholar to discuss Maqasud al Sharia or to establish it as a methodology is Imam al Juwaini. Uh-huh. So um, he's also a Shafi. He's a now Shafi. this is a this yeah. is a uh, topic of research. Yes. How did two different strands of thought come from the same uh, scholar from the same uh, system? Mm. So I see that these Imam Shafi lifted himself above. Same applies on a great scholar of subcontinent, Imam Shah Waliullah Dehlawi, mm. who is also uh, a great. Uh, Propounder of uh, Maqasid Sharia. His book, Hujjatullah al Baligha, yeah. is a great book about Maqasid. Yeah. All uh, Muslim groups, uh, uh, they accept his legacy, they attribute themselves to him mm. in the subcontinent. The Diobandis, Ahlul Hadith, Salafis. In fact, Salafis, they consider him as the uh, propounder of Salaf, Salafi movement mm. in the subcontinent. Right. And even Arabs have the chains of Hadith. They go through the Dahlawi family. And then we have the Brailvis also. So because he had lifted himself. He became a scholar par excellence. Mm. And all sects and groups of Muslims, they are able to, they are comfortable with him. This is what we, uh, we should aspire for and work for in our times. Creating scholarship right. which lifts and goes beyond these small limits and compartments. And uh, helps the ummah to grow. Um, do you feel that um, in Islamic history, and even maybe so today, that uh, one of the uh, one of the impediments that has challenged this lifting up of the ummah is this over tribalism when it comes to the madhahib? So I accept your point that you know the madhahibs are here and and these are not. Um, yeah, rigid schools. They uh, nourish and they they op- they're open for uh, intellectual inquiry. Um, but um, there is this tribalism that exists where uh, one cannot even think in a way or even contemplate the way by which the other school approaches a particular topic to learn from them. Uh, is that tribalism a problem when it comes to the madhahib? This is the stagnation we're talking about. Ah. The great scholars, these four great mujtahidun, mm. they prohibited their students from following them or from the blind imitation. Right. And Imam al-Muzani, rahimahullah, one of the greatest students of Imam al-Shafi, mm. he begins the mukhtasar of al-um. Al-um yeah. is uh, the work of Imam al-Shafi. And uh, Imam al-Muzani, he summarized it. In yeah. the beginning, he mentions this, that Imam al-Shafi forbade us from uh, blindly imitating him. Mm. He wanted to create uh, students who are of the same 
كلبه this is the stagnation we are talking about يعني uh, when you reduce the thought to a particular madhab to a particular scholar to a particular point of view to a particular group this is a problem that's why from the meanings or manifestations of wasat or ummatan wasata is engagement right and uh, we, we discussed about this or we pointed to this in the previous podcast mm. some br- brothers misunderstood this engagement does not mean agreement mm. engagement means we want to accept the epistemological space of the other right like uh, this is a famous saying attributed to imam al-shafi again rahimahullah mm. He used to say, قولي صواب يحتمل الخطأ My opinion is correct, but it has probability of a mistake. وقول خصم خطأ يحتمل الصواب And the opinion of my opponent is wrong with the probability of being right. So accepting this, coming to the middle ground. So stagnation is destroying our ummah right and again as i said we should use these madhahib in philosophies uh, principles methodologies in civilizational building yeah not uh, as a tool to destroy the ummah right you've uh, uh, made reference to maqasid al-shara in many of your your answers there and i'm uh, Uh, I'm aware that many of our viewers would not really know what the maqasid is. So explain the maqasid and how it applies to us, please. The ma- discussion of maqasid started with qiyas, analogy. Analogy, right. Qiyas is based on understanding the ilal of ahkam, understanding the rationale and the reasons behind uh, the rulings right. revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. And in Quran and the sunnah. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands something, it must have a rationale behind it. And we can extend the ruling based on that rationale. This right. is, if we simplify qiyas. So there is a reason behind there the is rule. A, there is an illa. Right. Technically, they call it effective cause. Uh-huh. There is an illa behind it. Yes. We can extend the ruling based on that illa. If that illa is present in uh, a new case, we can extend the ruling. Give me an example. Uh, where, for example, yeah. the best example can be The modern currency. Hmm. Riba is haram in gold and silver, hmm. based on the text. Gold and silver was the currency in the times of the Prophet ﷺ. Before him, yes. the Romans and Persians, they used dirham and dinar and gold coins and silver coins. Yes. Islam forbade riba in currency. Hmm. Now we have new currency. We have paper currency and digital right. currencies. Yes. Should the prohibition of riba apply on these currencies? Yeah. We don't have any ayah. about the paper currency. We mm. don't have any hadith or ayah about the digital currencies, bitcoins yeah. and whatever. Right. Uh, what is the ruling of riba in these currencies? Mm. So we reflect on the rationale and the reason or effective cause behind the prohibition of riba in mm. gold and silver. Yes. The prohibition in the hurma, the prohibition in gold and silver is because it was currency in those times. Yeah. So this being a currency becomes a reason, valid reason. For the prohibition. Now we can extend this rationale. We mm. can say anything which is used as currency mm. in any times till the till the last day, riba will be haram in it. This is qiyas. Yeah. So we know uh, in history, 
in some African countries, even pebbles and uh, dark chocolate was used as currency. Mm. So we can extend the ruling. Maqad, the discussion of maqazid al-sharia started from understanding this illa. Because uh, aql is involved. There is a great role of intellect in understanding the illa of this, of, of the hukum. Does the illa, uh, has it got to be explicit in Badalil or can a, a scholar extract the most illa? Of the, most of the illa are mustambata, extracted, ah. based on the intellect. Really? There are some illa. And this is how we, uh, how we considered Qiyas as a valid evidence. Right. And for the evidences other than the Book of Allah, we have evidence in the Quran itself for the authority of that evidence. Mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has applied Qiyas in the Quran. The Prophet has applied Qiyas yeah. in his responses. The Sahaba applied Qiyas. Yeah. We say Qiyas is a valid evidence. Which means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned ilan in many ahkam. Hmm. This does not need any evidence. The benefits and the harms Allah has mentioned in do's and don'ts is yeah. very clear in the Quran. Yeah. But most of the ilan are mustambata. So how do we know the ilan of a ruling? We have to uh, apply a particular rational procedure hmm. in understanding that. We yeah. cannot go into the details of that. But now this aql, the limits of aql in understanding the ilan, yeah. This was the discussion of the scholars. Right. So we have uh, illa and illa to illa. Let me explain this by an example. Yeah. The rukhas of safar, the facilities or ease in some rulings uh, while we are journeying. Right. Rukhas meaning the, Rukhsa, the yes, ease, the, the facility. Ease, the, all right. The facility. Yeah. Uh, like we can shorten the prayer, we can combine the prayer, okay. we yeah. can leave the fasts. Yeah. What is the illa of this rukhsa? Hmm. In journey. The travel? The illa must be something which is... A hardship? The, the illa must be rationally justified. Mm. The real illa is hardship. Mm. Mashakka. Mm. Hardship in journey. Any level of hardship. Sharia has given ease. Mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, wills ease with his slaves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want to create difficulty for us. Sure. But this mashakka is very vague. It's subjective. Yeah. From person to person, from place to place. From, so if you travel from, I don't know, Essern Yurt uh, to Bashak Shahir, for some person that may be seen to be a very difficult journey. Yes, of course. Yeah. It, it depends on the means of transportation as well. Yeah. If you're traveling by a bus, more difficult yes. than a car. Yeah. And the means of Transportation have also advanced. So mashakka is very subjective. Yeah. How can you connect a ruling revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with something which is vague and subjective? Yes. So the scholars, they uh, instead of uh, adopting the, the actual illa yeah. in this legal procedure, they connect it with something which is more defined, mm. like the journey itself. Safar itself. Yeah. So they say, Safar is madhinnatul illa. Safar is not the real illa. But it can take, it is connected with the illa closely. Right. Because whenever there is journey, there will be mashakka. There will be hardship. There will be hardship of yes. different levels. Right. But there is hardship. Yeah. Even in our times of uh, ease in traveling, uh, 
uh, even if you're traveling in a business class, there is hardship. Yeah. yeah. Right? So they say suffer. Let us not take uh, the real illa mm. because it's subjective. Suffer is more defined. Right. So whenever you're traveling, the illa is present. Yeah. You can take the ruksa. Now the discussion is uh, illa tul illa. The real illa, the cause of the cause. They called it hikmah. Mm. The scholars are very uh, disciplined in creating uh, terminologies and methodologies in understanding the religion. Mm -hmm. Because this is an amana, trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. You have to be disciplined in understanding these affairs. So they call it hikmah. The real illa, mashakka in this case. Yes. They call it hikmah. And the safar journey, they call it illa. You can connect the ruling with the illa, not the real illa. You cannot connect the ruling with hikmah. Mm. Otherwise, if we extend, again, we apply qiyas here. Yeah. We extend the ruling to all forms of uh, hardships. Yeah. A, a worker, uh, uh, he undergoes a lot of hardship on the road or uh, morning to evening job. Yes. Difficult uh, jobs. Yeah. Can we say this person can leave fast mm. in Ramadan? Right. Or is it only specific with safar? Right. Now this is a discussion. They call it a ta'alilu bil hikmah. Can we apply hikmah, the real illa, in extending the rulings? Mm. So, so this is a disagreed upon masala in usul al-fiqh. Very deep. Yeah. And some scholars, they uh, are very lenient in, in these masail, yeah. usul. For example, uh, famous Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah is generally considered to be a very strict and extremist uh, scholar. But yes. in these matters, he's very, he's, he's, he's very lenient. So Ibn Taymiyyah, according to him, uh, a worker who faces hardship can leave the fast. Really? And this is not a, the majority opinion. Yes. Because at-ta'alilu bil-hikmah. And from here, we have the discussion of maqasid al-sharia. Right. Let us reflect on the higher reasons and causes behind the ahkam. So before we get to the maqasid, so I heard, for example, from some scholars during the time of COVID, you had uh, um, doctors who were working 12, 13 hour shifts. And these were very extensive, you know, difficult COVID wards with very sick patients. Hardship. And uh, the scholars said that in this circumstance, you're allowed to leave your fast and make it up at a, at a different time of the year where, where you don't have that hardship. So they were then applying uh, the the analogy based on this hikmah of hardship. Yeah, we can say that. Really? And this is a particular fatwa. Yes. Case-to-case -case study, particular fatwas differ from uh, a general ruling. Hmm. Can we adopt this method of connecting the ahkam with hikam hmm. in usul al-fiqh? Right. This is a slippery ground. Yes. So even those scholars who are of this opinion, yeah. They have laid some strict conditions for the for the actual procedure. Right. Otherwise, you can change the ahkam. You will fall into distorting mm. the book of Allah. Yeah. So, so, back, so back to maqasid then. So explain now. So you built, I, I, it's, I've, I've surprisingly kept with you in this discussion. So you've explained yes. the illa and you've explained analogy. So how does the maqasid, the aims of the sharia, link to this discussion? Maqasid is plural of maqsid. Ah means aim, higher intents, yeah. goals right. of sharia. Sharia is the sharia, the law, yes. the ahkam which we have from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. 
in understanding the individual ahkam, mm. uh, individual ilal, and the reasons behind ahkam, mm. the scholars, they lifted themselves a bit uh, above, more, higher. Let us understand the ilal of sharia as a whole. Mm. Let us try to understand the spirit of the sharia as a whole. So what is so a sharia? If we summarize yeah. all ahkam, Right. Now we talked about one hukum, which is mm. rukhsa in safar. We mm. can talk about salah, zakah, hajj, whatever. Yeah. Uh, whether it's azima, the original ruling, or rukhsa, mm. facility, whatever. Yeah. But let us talk about the sharia as a whole, with all its branches, rituals, uh, family life, jihad, community life, state craft, all ahkam. What are the uh, maqasid of the law? Yeah. And they adopted a very important aqli method in understanding this masala, which is istiqra, the inductive method, right. which is the foundation of science in the West also. Mm-hmm. The Muslim scholars, they discovered it very early, the method of istiqra. Yani when you uh, analyze the juz'iyat, the individual cases, in order to extract a kulliya, a higher principle. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you want to understand the opinion of a community, you go door to door. You ask every individual in statecraft or whatever, you take a vote, and then after you have taken the opinion of everyone, you can say that the opinion of this community is so and so. Mm. So you carve a principle. Istiqra can be tam, perfect, or naqis. So if you went to, for example, if in a community we have uh, 10 families, you ask the opinion of only five, your ist- you adopted this method, but it's naqis. Mm. Naqis meaning it's uh, inadequate. Inadequate. Yeah. It's incomplete. Yeah. So the conclusion will also be naqis. This is an aqli method. Mm. And uh, it has roots in the, the Greek civilization and stuff. Mm. So there are many aqli uh, in, intellectual methodologies which are a common legacy between human beings. So when you apply mathematics in uh, uh, in understanding the Ahkam of inheritance. You don't say, no, this is haram. Uh, mathematics comes from kuffar. I will not apply it. Mm. Two plus two is four is a is a kafir thing. Mm. Two plus two f- is equal to four is neither a Muslim nor a kafir uh, thing. Mm. It is a fact. Uh, so they summarized the maqasid of whole sharia into five, which are the famous five maqasid. And from these, yeah, from these us- five... Give us the five. Yes, we have Hifdudin, the protection of religion. Right, and the, they connected it with ahkam. They extracted it from the ahkam, of course. Mm. So the example is uh, the dawa, the ruling of dawa. Mm. It is a means to protecting the religion, Islam, in the community. The punishment of, of an apostate. Mm. It is uh, to protect the deen of a community. Mm. If we allow uh, freedom of religion mm. in a Muslim community, uh, deen will be in shambles. But if this opposite, he runs away, mm. he goes to a non-Muslim land, a community, and lives there, mm. you will not see any scholar saying that uh, the Khalifa or the ruler or the authorities should, should send a mission to kill him. Mm. Has anyone said that? Mm. You will not find. Yeah. Because he has separated himself from the community. But mm. he lives in the community uh, and he opposites this He's threatening Hifduddin. Uh, Perhaps mm. these matters are difficult to understand 
in a society based on Western modernity. Mm. So the values have changed, the principles have changed. Right. So Hifdul Deen. Yes. Second. Then we have uh, Hifdul Nafs. Right. Protection of human life. Yeah. That's why we have the ruling of Qisas, retribution. Then we have uh, protection of uh, Aql. The protection of intellect. Mm. Uh, alcohol is haram because it uh, destroys Aql. And Aql is manatu taklif. Aql is the foundation of legal responsibility. Mm. As a Muslim, you have to fulfill many responsibilities. So, uh, this is number three. Oh, three. Number yes. three. Hifdul Aql, protection oh. of intellect. Yes. Then we have Hifdul uh, an uh, Nasl, the protection of progeny. Zina is haram oh. because we have to protect the family system. Family system is important. It is the foundation of the Ummah. Yeah. And then Hifdul uh, Al Ird. Protection of uh, the honor mm. of human. That's yeah. why we have uh, a punishment for false accusation yes. of zina. Yeah. If a person, if a Muslim falsely accuses another Muslim of fornication and he does not produce four witnesses, mm -hmm. he would be lashed 80 times. Mm -hmm. Why? Protection of the honor. Mm -hmm. So they said these are the five higher objectives of Sharia. Right. How did you extract them? We reflected on every juz. We reflected on every hukum individually. Yes. And we extracted these five maqasid. Okay. Now the debate is yeah. about can we uh, add to these maqasid? Can mm. we uh, extract new maqasid? This is a point of debate. Yes. Can we uh, turn these maqasid, these higher objectives, into individual evidences? Because you will not see any scholar of usul and... Uh, I'm saying this with full confidence. Yeah. You will not see any scholar of usul in the chapter of Dalil. Mm. The chapter of evidences is a very important chapter yeah. in usul al-fiqh. You will not see anyone uh, mentioning maqasud al-sharia as a Dalil. So now what's its evidence? use? What is its use? Maqasud al-sharia is a tool for interpretation. Okay. To understand and apply the ahkam in a better way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it has also been used as a tool of tarjih, as a tool of giving preference. So if you have two opinions, opinions that are in We can use maqasid. Ah, right. So also, which one is closer to protecting the honor? Which one is closer, closer to? to right. In a situation like that. Yeah. Uh, also, like you said, uh, the example of uh, the doctors working in COVID, uh, lifting the hardship, uh, creating ease for the Muslim community, mm. uh, adopting opinions based on maqasid mm. to lift the hardship and create ease so yeah. that they can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want uh, us to yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, wants us to uh, follow his commands mm. so the scholars make sure to create a conducive environment for Muslims to, to be able to follow uh, the ahkam mm. and also uh, in shifting from one madhab to another madhab mm. the rule of hardship can be invoked again so if you're shifting from one madhab to another madhab based on whims and desires, no one has allowed this. Right. No scholar. That's why the scholars, they emphasize on the importance of following one madhab. Because a common Muslim does not have tools of preference. He does not know which opinion to prefer and why to prefer it. So if he does that, he will eventually fall into preferring his whims and desires, based on his whims and desires. Mm. But in a case of hardship, like for example, in... Uh, Nikah. Okay. Nikah. Yeah. 
which is a very important institution in mm. Muslim communities, yeah. we have this condition of wali, the consent of the guardian. Mm. In a Hanafi madhab, uh, they don't have this condition. It does not mean they're promoting it. Mm. It is based on evidences. It is good to have, but if uh, a legal contract like nikah is enacted without the consent of the wali, it is accepted in Hanafi madhab. Mm. But in Shafi madhab, no, it is invalid. Mm. Now, for example, a Shafi. Invalid or incomplete? Let's not go into that discussion ah. of Fasid and Batil. It's mm. a very technical discussion. Yes. Let's take the opinion of inv- invalidity of okay. this contract. Yeah. Now, we have a Shafi uh, who follows Shafi Madhab and he uh, did nikah without the consent of the wali. Mm. And after he has family and children, he regrets because according to his Madhab, he has committed a sin. He regrets, he makes tawbah and he comes to a mufti. He has grown-up children. He has a family. Mm. What should the mufti say? According to Shafi Madhab, his nikah is invalid from the first day. These awlad, the children are awlad zina. They are born of an illegal mm. uh, contract. So the ahkam of awlad zina apply on him. Now, if he gives this fatwa, he is disintegrating the family. He is destroying the family, which may lead to more serious uh, repercussions mm. than maintaining this condition in this particular contract. Yeah. So if he's a wise mufti, he will take the Hanafi opinion. Mm. As long as there is a valid evidence. We are not talking about changing the religion. We have a valid Hanafi opinion. Hanafi madhab is a great madhab. It's based on evidences. It's based on principle. Mm-hmm. So he adopts the Hanafi madhab in spite of being a Shafi, yes. Mujtahid or a Mufti. Yes. He gives them ease. So again, the hardship and ease yeah. uh, matter. The scholars, in shifting from one mother to another, they say if there is a problem, there is a hardship, which you want to, uh, you want to create ease. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For Muslims, you can adopt a different madhab as long as it is a valid ishtihad. So this is how we should do it. So, so back to Makasid. Now you explain, I think, very well that you have these overarching objectives of the Sharia, uh, five objectives, and maybe there are more by that have been laid down by Abbas. I understand Ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, he had a greater array of objectives. Yes. Uh, so these objectives are there. Now you said that the Makasid cannot be utilized as an evidence in deriving fiqh, in deriving rulings, right? Can you expand on that? What, what, explain what that is to me. We cannot use maqasid as a standalone evidence. Right. 
because because maqasid at the end is uh, the fruit of uh, human intellect it is not a textual evidence yes islam and the rulings of islam the sharia is connected with textual evidences yeah yeah primarily the ayat of the quran and sunnah of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam if you make maqasid you turn it into an evidence you're basically uh, you are disconnecting from the textual evidences mm. which is a very serious thing but there are scholars, because this opens yeah, the room yeah. and it op- opens uh, yeah and it, it opens the gates of uh, subjectivity so I, you're I, making yeah. it m- more open this is interesting when i've come across uh, in the west um, scholars who argue that Uh, we should develop a new set of tools to access the sharia and they call it the maqasid method and some have actually has gone as far as to say it sits outside the traditional usul al-fiqh it's a separate methodology to extract evidences um uh from from the text your argument is that's just an invalid way to approach uh, quran and sunnah this is also uh, a wrong understanding mm. of the principles mm. itself We talked about this in the previous podcast. Mm. Can we have uh, new ishtihad? Mm. And also, uh, as I said, disconnecting from the texts is dangerous. Yes. Because texts are limited, uh, defined, well-defined. When you move away from texts, mm. you're open to all forms of interpretations. It yeah. becomes a problem. Yeah. Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, again in Ar-Risala, explains this in a very beautiful manner. He gives mm. the example of Qibla. He says, When you're in front of the Qibla, the obligation is facing the Qibla. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And he has explained the procedure of ijtihad by these examples. One example is Qibla. Mm. But when you're not in front of the Qibla, or away from the Qibla, you're in a desert, mm-hmm. you have to apply ijtihad. And this is the obligation, apply ijtihad. But you have to face the Qibla. Yes. You cannot face anywhere. Qibla will be your reference point. But you can commit a mistake in facing the Qibla. So if you are in front of the Qibla, which means if you are in the area of Qat'i, Qat'i area, definitive uh, concepts and, uh, and uh, principles and evidences, you just apply them. And in application, we can have uh, ijtihad also. But if you are away from from the Qibla, you have to try your best in facing the Qibla. So, النَّسُّ قِبْلَةُ الْمُجْتَهِدِ Text is the Qibla of Mujtahid. This is what he beautifully explains. And this is the foundation of Ijtihad. But at the same time, we must be, we must be balanced. Or we must, uh, again, uh, apply the same uh, quality of uh, Ummatan Wasatan in uh, creating a balanced, just path in understanding the texts because uh, a person can go to all extremes in interpretation explain um or custom to me because again this is um in in modern life especially in the west uh, these ideas are resurfacing so maqasid al-sharia has taken quite a central platform in in some uh discussions and i think that the as you've quite rightly explained Uh, the application is a bit too liberal, it seems to me at the moment, by some scholars. But also Orfis is uh, is another idea that 
uh, has some uh, centrality or it has some connection with um, uh, with fiqh, with uh, deriving evidences. And again, some scholars have argued that the complexion of fiqh may change quite radically depending on the type of society in which you live. So the customs or the cultures of a society have to be taken into account before you uh, express a particular pathway for fiqh. Um, can you explain urf or custom to me, please? In explaining the evidences, mm. the scholars divide the evidences into muttafaq alayha and mukhtalafin, agreed upon and disagreed upon. Mm. This is for the ease of explanation. Right. Otherwise, the only evidence in Quran, uh, in, in Islam, is text revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. And this is well established. This is what makes us uh, the ummah. So text wahi. is wahi. So Quran, Quran and sunnah, sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu okay. Everything else is basically uh, methodologies and understanding and engaging with the text. Yes. Ijma is a method. Yes. Qiyas is a method. Maslaha is a method. Right. Urf is also a method. Mm-hmm. Because the conditions of human beings are perpetually changing. The social conditions, the personal life, the psychological states. Yes. And Islam is the last and final revelation. Muhammad mm-hmm. is the last and final prophet. Yes. So how to deal with the, the, the changing circumstances? Mm-hmm. As we said, for this reason, we have a dhanni area in the text. Doubtful. Not, not doubtful. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a speculative area. Okay. The, the, the texts, majority of the texts yeah. have ihtimal, probability of more than one meaning. Mm-hmm. In order to cater this, Flexibility and the change uh, which happens in human conditions. Right. Urf belongs to the same uh, genre, right. the custom of human beings. Yes. However, uh, we invoke Urf in matters when we don't have explicit texts. We don't have ayah and hadith. Mm-hmm. We have custom of uh, particular people which does not contradict uh, the ayat and a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. how mm. to deal with that mm. if it contradicts it's rejected of course and this is this applies to shar'uman qablana also the sharia of the previous nations right the laws which don't contradict with Quran and sunnah is an open area mm. how to deal with that we were talking about uh, free mixing and uh, the different approaches scholars uh, take in our times and the du'at activists taking these matters mm. based on uh, the the culture also culture of uh, different places mm. maybe in the west it's more liberal in the east a place like afghanistan it's very difficult for uh, for uh, a non mahram man and woman to sit together or even to communicate yes. cultures differ but where does islam stand mm. in these matters yes again i'm answering the we're discussing about the urf yes what i want to say is this is also connected with civilizational building. We lift ourselves. We come out of the stagnation and reductionism. Mm. Uh, many ahkam are not about uh, just halal and haram or uh, applying a cosmetic methodology mm. in understanding these matters. Urf is one example. Considering the human condition, the social conditions, which are changing mm. in ahkam. We acknowledge this, that ahkam can change based on these matters. But this is a slippery ground again. Yes. We have to determine the area. All ahkam cannot change. Qat'iyat cannot change. 
definite. Yeah. Yeah. See, for example, I'll give you one example. The uh, prayer of woman in the masjid. It was there in the times of the Prophet sallallahu And the Prophet sallallahu did his best to maintain uh, uh, an atmosphere of adab in fulfilling this obligation. Mm -hmm. He separated the doors of the masjid. This door is for women and this door is for men. This is famous. And he allowed. But there are some Sahaba who disliked women going, from going to the masjid. Mm. From the prominent example examples is Omar himself. Yes, yeah. And this is in Sahih al-Bukhari. Well established a hadith. He disliked his wife going to the masjid for Fajr prayer. Mm. And when she asked him, what does Omar said to him, why do you go? In spite of uh, knowing that I dislike it, in spite of knowing that Omar, يَكْرَهُ ذَلِكَ وَيَغَارُ He feels jealous. Yani this, this male, uh, masculine uh, jealousy. غيرة. She asked, why does Omar stop me? What, what stops Omar from prohibiting me from attending the prayer in the masjid? Mm. Omar said, the hadith of the Prophet <laughs> In which he said, "La ima Allah masajid Allah." Famous hadith. Same now, same applies on uh, the opinion of Aisha radiallahu anha. And Aisha radiallahu anha is very near to the Prophet She uh, uh, received her tarbiyah directly from the Prophet She says in a famous hadith that if the Prophet had seen the fitna and the condition of women in our times, he would have prohibited them from going to the masjid. This is. This did not. This is not ijma. This is opinion of Aisha and Umar radiallahu mm. But this shows that Sahaba, they considered the human condition, and uh, because fitna is again a subjective matter. Mm. Something can be fitna for you. It cannot be fitna for me. Something can be fitna in a particular community. It cannot be fitna in a uh, in a different community yeah. or in a particular condition. Yes. So if may Allah protect us, if there is an earthquake. And every person leaves his house naked, there will be no fitna with agreement because mm -hmm. the condition necessitates fear, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So the Sahaba, in applying ahkam, they would take great care in understanding the human conditions right. and the social conditions as well. In ijtihad, this mm -hmm. is what we should do. And for this reason, uh, the fatwa and uh, the responses in these matters should be given by the local scholars. So we have scholars in the West and we have scholars in the East. There are different conditions in the West and the East or in a particular place, in a particular masala because they understand it better. Mm. Sometimes you have to take a lenient opinion to protect the iman of a person. Sometimes you give us a strong opinion uh, for a particular reason to reach a, a higher maqsid or a higher purpose. Yes. Depends. So, so not, this importing fatawa yeah, yeah. is another problem. So what, explain that, importing fatawa. So I don't know, someone lives in California and a scholar in California knows the climate of the society around them and the people and, and knows what are the acceptable boundaries and what, what exists in their culture. Um, so important would be to take, I don't know, uh, an opinion from uh, the books of fatawa or an opinion from... Kandahar and apply it to it will California. Be, it will be a disaster. Right. And in fact, taking the opinions and fatawa from the books is another form of stagnation. Really? 
these books were compiled by the scholars uh, to foster knowledge there is no doubt yeah. however we should learn the methodology from these books so there was a there was a i don't usually pay attention to to social media but i it struck me there was a tweet which i oh, it was called x now i think which was sent and um uh, it was a a quote from a historical or classical scholar and the quote was something like uh such and such person disliked a woman calling the husband by their first name but rather would you know told the uh, the the women to use a term of endearment when addressing the husband right exactly. you know we see that in these are cultural yeah. matters ah so in a particular culture this would this may be considered a, a wrong or a big matter yeah but in some cultures it's it's just fine so in the west it's common that you it's don't common. do that right whereas in uh, i don't know in in another culture it it would look odd if you odd. don't do that right that's why i said the role of culture yeah and understanding the, for this reason mujtahid is not a cosmetic scholar who just sits and reads 10 books 20 books uh, memorizes the quran mm. learns arabic and he becomes a mujtahid yes a mujtahid must be well versed with the reality he's living in with the conditions with the culture with the change with uh, the he should adopt fiqhul ma'al fiqh mm. of consequences mm. if i give this fatwa what are the consequences in a place there may be new muslims if you give a strict fatwa they may turn back from islam right and you will be responsible so in that case you will give a lenient fatwa for example yeah. this masala of accepting islam on a fasid condition okay. has been discussed by our scholars yeah. accepting islam on an invalid condition right. some people came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and they said we will accept islam however we will not accept some ahkam mm. like we will not go for jihad and we cannot give zakah charity is this acceptable the prophet accepted ah. he accepted he said you uh, enter islam and on this invalid condition mm. and when they were leaving the sahaba were confused they all the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam how can they enter jannah without jihad and without uh, without giving zakah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said so for yujahidun when iman enters into the hearts and takes a firm place in their hearts creates a change internally they will themselves give charity and they will be better muslims right. and imam ahmad and fuqaha have discussed about this. there is disagreement about this masala ah. but we have fuqaha who accept islam on an invalid condition why again uh, considering the condition of this person mm. so uh, these matters are intertwined and a scholar must be well versed uh, in understanding the reality the culture connecting and giving ahkam yeah. and for this reason the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has said from the signs of the last days that scholars will be lifted mm. because common masses cannot mm. reach such a level of intelligence yes where they and it, it it involves uh, it involves understanding the society and and the social sciences is basically about understanding a human from understanding an individual human being to understanding a society to statecraft this is this, this requires a full time engagement yeah. and a high level of intelligence the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said when scholars are lifted they die ittakhadha an-nas ru'usan juhala he did not say the the masses will themselves study quran and sunnah we have the books we have the texts why will they go astray they will take ignorance as their leaders mm. and uh, both the leaders and 
those who follow them, they will be, they will end up in misguidance. There are lots of people who embrace Islam, become Muslim, or even start to practice Islam at a later age in their life. And of course, Adam, the way we live in, you know, I can imagine a hundred years ago, someone embraces Islam, they're embedded within a community. And generally speaking, in that community, you would have one coherent set of opinions. So as you quite rightly describe, you would have scholars who have got intimate knowledge of the community and the cultures, and they would apply their fiqh in, a, in, in the way in which you expressed it there. But today, it doesn't work in that way. We don't have these, uh, uh, these comprehensive uh, or coherent communities. Rather, we have the internet, social media, the globalized world. And so someone becomes a Muslim. I met a person who became a Muslim just actually from internet searches, hadn't met a single Muslim, and they gave their shahada by just going on the internet and communicating with this person in Iraq and this person in America and, and, and embracing Islam through that. Now, that's a, that's a very frightening prospect, actually, because, you know, we're not rooted yet when it comes to adopting a fiqh, when you embrace Islam, um, you know, one needs to think deeply about this matter. I mean, could you give some advice to new Muslims and, and new practicing Muslims on how they should navigate this minefield out there? And this will happen. We cannot stop this. Yes. The Western globalization, fragmentation, it will happen. Yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide whomsoever he wills. People will come to Islam. But we must have uh, institutions of ulama yeah. for tarbiyah of, for, for, for the Muslims and the, the new Muslims as well. Mm. As long as we have good scholars who are well-rooted, as you said, in the communities, they understand their times, they understand uh, the texts in a comprehensive manner. They are not reductionist. They are not uh, stagnant in their thought. Yeah. Uh, the, those who come to Islam, they should connect with these scholars. And alhamdulillah, we have. Mm. I always give hope. Yeah. We have the scholars. But are you happy they not with... Be, they, not, yeah. they may not be in the majority. Right. But there is a shift. You will see, yeah. because I'm following this, I'm into this subject. Yeah. There is a shift from uh, the reductionist mentality to exploring the Torah, the legacy more. Mm. We have students of knowledge, like in Istanbul also, who come to the Syrian scholars yeah. from the West, mostly from the West. They study ulum with them, and they go back uh, with a balanced uh, manhaj, and they teach. Yeah. So we must have institutionalizing our communities, our thought, whatever, is very important. So these people should go to local uh, uh, the responsibility of knowledge. The responsibility yes. lies with the local scholars also. Yes. They must create these institutions. Are you happy with the the condition of Islamic learning and scholarship in the Muslim communities? It is not up to the mark. Yeah. As we said, uh, we have decline. The Ummah is in decline. Mm. And this decline manifests first and foremost in uh, methodologies of understanding. Right. Have a look at the madrasas and the great ulum. We have great minds, yes. great ulum, but our approach is wrong. See, yeah. instead of uh, making ilmul kalam a science of polemics or fiqh, as we said, why can't we take uh, the great sciences of cosmology, mm. the discussions of time and space? The discussion of time and space is basic in the books of kalam, like Imam al-Razi. Why can't we uh, extract these discussions in uh, maybe 
we may call it Islamic science of our times. Yani, what is our contribution? What is our uh, what are our what is our what are our thoughts and uh, what do we have for, for mankind? So it it all begins with the thought, and then it manifests in practice. So as I said, in Mukalla, we have see another problem is this is also a basic problem the division we have mm. i don't want to go into that again we discussed about it. the division we have divided the scholars also the yeah. division is not only in uh, the institutions and the madrasas we yes. have divided scholars why can't we uh, explore and benefit from all scholars across the spectrum right even the scholars who don't belong to ahlus sunnah mm. benefiting not agreeing everything yeah like for example there are two great scholars who are aduwun uh, ladut staunchest enemies in thought imam ibn taymiyyah and muhyiuddin ibn arabi mm-hmm. they are staunchest enemies yeah. ibn taymiyyah he declared muhyiuddin ibn arabi kafir but in my opinion they, they are the greatest minds who has ever produced i was reading a book about uh, quantum physics and uh, the the opinions of uh, ibn arabi in quantum physics yani his opinions about science and uh, cosmology and stuff mm. some great deep thinking has happened but the problem is this is my scholar this is your scholar this belongs to my and the term salaf has been also misappropriated salaf means my salaf my scholars mm. whether you take the example of deobandis Salafis or other groups. However, this was never the case if you go 50 years back, maybe 100 years back, within the same system of thought. Yeah. For example, Ibn Arabi is considered to be a very odd thinker who came with this idea of uh, pantheism and uh, the, the or religions have the same roots and stuff, which is a misunderstanding of Ibn Arabi. Now, if you go to, for example, subcontinent, you will have uh, Ahlul Hadith scholar, very strict, mm. like uh, Nawab Siddiq Hassan Khan. Mm. Nawab Siddiq Hassan Khan, Bhopali, is a famous uh, mainstream Ahlul Hadith scholar in the subcontinent, praising Ibn Arabi and benefiting from Ibn Arabi in his books. Mm. He has read both Ibn Arabi and Ibn Taymiyyah. As I said, see, for, for example, Ibn Taymiyyah, we can benefit from his linguistic philosophy. Just to cite one example. Yeah. And Winkestein, the old Greek uh, method of understanding the language, which is based on definitions, he disconnected uh, from it. And there are many similarities between these linguistic philosophers and Ibn Taymiyyah, because Ibn Taymiyyah also, he emphasizes on the importance of understanding the context in language. Mm. So this is in the science of interpretation. Ibn Arabi, his book Al-Futuhat Al-Makkiyah, Makan openings is uh, an ocean without any shores. I'm studying it now. It is an ocean. It contains science, sociology, philosophy, ulum, usulul fiqh, fiqh, whatever. You may disagree. You may not agree with everything he says. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, the the yani. Unorthodox opinions and methodology should also be incorporated in understanding and civilizational building. Mm. We have this idea of, for example, 
فناء النار will help end one day mm. or is it perpetual mm. this is a very or- unorthodox thought mm. there are some scholars who say that helfa will uh, end one day mm. and the punishment of the people in helfa will be the, the punishment will also stop the adab will stop the adab will be the memory of adab and the expectation of adab mm. but of course they will not enter jannah with agreement because this is based on the texts so ibn arabi for example in understanding this masala he invokes the attribute of rahmah prophet sallallahu said rahmati sabaqat ala ghadabi mm. and uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this a principle before creating the heavens and the earth right. he said i wrote this and uh, yani this great principle and it is on the arsh of allah that my mercy precedes my anger now does this apply to all human beings or only muslims he says it applies to all human beings mm. and the mercy preceding the anger also means that hellfire will end one day so th- this is again understanding the problem of good and evil mm. dunya and akhirah i'm not agreeing with him right. in this masala you what i'm saying you don't agree with him what i'm saying yeah. i'm still exploring uh-huh. and th- th- this is the path of knowledge yes. you don't stop yes and it has been attributed to ibn taymiyah and his students also but refuted by some contemporary scholars they say this is misunderstanding misinterpretation mm. what i'm saying is we should incorporate even unorthodox opinions as long as they don't uh, destroy the qat'iya they don't destroy the yeah. the the clear definitive foundations of our deen so sheikh shab i like what you're saying and it's uh, it's a great way of thinking that we want to raise the level you talk about civilization or studies we don't just want to have this very stagnated you know historical view of our sharia but we want to build and develop exactly. great minds so that we can reproduce ibn taymiyyah today and we can reproduce the the great thinkers of islamic history but maybe and at the back of my mind i have this worry that uh, today it's not as if we're uh, we've got the luxury of thinking in a very strong uh, islamic hegemony where islam is is dominant in in the world but rather we have these other philosophies liberalism for example that uh is is attempting to impact our way of thinking and i suppose my worry is that you know if your message is is one of expansion and one of intellectual inquiry but that can very easily lead us to embracing some very unsavory opinions that come from the western hadara the western way of thinking how do we prevent uh, that danger from from entering the muslim community this is part of the game ah as long as you don't tread the path of difficulty yeah. you cannot reach your destination mm. and as-siratul mustaqim coming back to the ummah al wasata mm. in one hadith how has uh, the sirat the bridge on jahannam been described in the sunnah uh, there is weakness in the chains it appears in uh, all books uh, of the sunnah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said this sirat on jahannam which every muslim has to uh, experience and cross it is ahaddu min as-sayfi wa adakku min ash-shar it is sharper than the sword and thinner than the hair and the scholars explain this is a metaphor because if something is sharper than the sword and thinner than the hair you cannot walk on it yes it points to the difficulty in this path so the path is difficult 
course, civiliz- creating a civilization is not an easy path. It is uh, and it depends on those who have the courage and the intellectual acumen taking this responsibility and creating checks and balances at the same time so yes. that, again, civilizational exchanges will happen, cultural exchanges. Happen. This is natural. Mm. Those who deny it, they have not understand, they have not understood human condition. Mm. It will always happen. Yes. And Islam does not deny it. But checks and balances. How do we protect ourselves? How do we take the best? Al-Hikmatul-Dallatul-Mumin. The Prophet said, wisdom is the lost treasure of a believer. Mm. What should we take and what should what shouldn't we take? We're, we will be influenced eventually, but where to create this wall, checks and balances? Mm. It has also, it is part of the methodology, which should be, uh, which should be worked on mm. and applied by the scholars. But if we uh, don't have this methodology, it does not mean we should leave the path altogether. We tread the path, we will see the difficulties will come. Uh, what is beyond the bridge, we will think about it and we will take the challenge and create good uh, for the Muslims. But maintaining the basic uh, principles of our religion, which is loyalty with Allah and His Messenger, means loyalty with the texts, loyalty with the qati'iyat of our deen. Qati'iyat, the definitive principles, should not be compromised. After that, we can, the sky is our limit. Mm. As the scholars in the past did. And this is also, uh, this masala is raised in the discussion of reconciliation between reason and revelation. Mm. Reason and revelation, creating yeah. a balanced path between reason and revelation. In understanding Islam, in understanding the sciences, whatever. Yeah. As Coming back to Allama Iqbal, mm. uh, he says, in a Persian couplet, he says, "Gharbiyan ra zirki sazehayat." For the West, zirki zirki in Persian means intellect, rationality, is the is the harmony of their life. It is the basic principle. "Gharbiyan ra zirki sazehayat," "Sharkiyan ra ishq But for the East, the secret of their civilization or kainat is ishq, passion. And epistemology is more broad. Then he says, uh, secret lies in uh, recon- reconciliation between uh, ishq and uh, zirki. If you are able to reconcile between uh, ishq, which is a civilization of principle in the East, and zirki, rationality in the West, if you are able to reconcile it, you will create a new world. Alami diyar, you will create a new world. And Imam al-Ghazali has also said this in a beautiful uh, way. He says, Al-aqlu ma'ash-shar'i nurun ala nur. Aql in uh, reconciliation with the sharia is light upon light. So this is what we should aim for. And again, this is not uh, a cup of tea yes. for people who have fallen into fragmentation, who only care about their movements, who only care about their uh, religious ideologies, their their uh, sects or groups, we should lift ourselves about these things okay. while maintaining these, uh, because it is natural to all yeah. religions. Yeah, we will have these groups and we'll have different scholars. We'll have different, uh, and again, uh, 
this is a point which I want to emphasize. It's very important in the movements also, the religious movements we have, mm. whether political, social, whatever was their concern. I personally feel that most of these movements have fossilized. We want something new. Mm. I don't know what. Mm. I don't know, do we have the necessary, are we fulfilling the necessary conditions for this new revival, when it will happen? But uh, they have fossilized. Mm. They have given their contribution. So fossilized means, does not mean they have failed. No religious movement has failed. It has given its contribution, but at the end, it is human endeavor. And we must raise ourselves above, again, from this stagnation. Yani some, and in fact, most of the Muslims who are connected with religious movements, they only see Islam from the prism of these, from their movements. Mm. And they are fighting the battle of their wujud, maintaining their existence. Mm. Without going beyond the stagnation. So stagnation in thought, stagnation in practice, stagnation in fatawa, our approach, education. There must be a revival in the curriculums. Right. In madrasas, we are still stuck with the same uh, style and the method and the texts. The problem, problem is not in the texts and the scholars, mm. but our approach. So you will have a student who understands nahaw and sarf, grammar intricacies of grammar but if you ask him about the application if you ask him about the linguistic philosophy you can extract from this from from the texts about nahaw and sarf and balagha and use this linguistic philosophy as a foundation in your civilization he does not understand this nowadays mm. you know western civilization or any civilization must fulfill these conditions in order to become a civilization it must have a culture, a linguistic philosophy. It must have, uh, have a political system. It must have an economic system. The linguistic philosophies of postmodernism, post postmodernism, mm. Derrida, and others. Uh, the the idea of death of the author. These are linguistic philosophies, and we have better to offer to the world. Let us put it to the table. But who will? Uh, who, who? Yeah, we need people who will who will extract this good, this khairiyah, yeah. present it to mankind, mm -hmm. so that people have an alternative. So, Sheikh Sheikh, we're running out of time, but I want to uh, ask you some, some questions. Uh, and imagine you're answering these questions for someone living in Britain or America, someone living in the West. Um, I just want to uh, appreciate the application of what you've said to me today. So how do we you know, how would you look at these problems? I'll, I'll give you one one question. It's a perennial question that's asked every, every to, to every scholar in the West. We know that the fiqh seems to imply, the hadith seems to imply that a woman should not travel beyond a day uh, without a mahram. And so uh, some scholars have deducted or taken from that that uh, without a mahram, a woman can't go to from Istanbul to Ankara, for example, or cannot travel... Uh, to to Omra or cannot travel to Pakistan, their home country. Um, some have said, actually, a woman can't travel to the local town uh, without a mahram. How do you understand uh, this, uh, this, uh, these narrations? As I said, if the methodology of engagement with these matters and the texts behind these ahkam, mm. 
If it is wrong, you will end up in a mess. Mm. And there is a mess today. There is a mess. Yeah. yeah. We have this difference of opinion in this masala. Okay. We don't have ijma. In Maliki uh, fiqh, they allow uh, a woman from, uh, they allow a woman to travel without mahar. Mm. We have the Maliki opinion. Right. It may not be a preponderant opinion in Maliki madhab. Mm. I'm not well versed with Maliki fiqh. I'm a Shafi'i, hmm. so I don't claim, but we have this opinion of the scholars who say that it is permissible hmm. because they connect it with the illa. They see what what was the illa of this ruling. The illa is uh, the safety hmm. of the journey. If, if woman, it is achieved, right. she can travel. So and if she's traveling by aeroplane, through airports, yeah. her safety is going to be guaranteed somewhat. Guaranteed. You know? She has relatives here and relatives yeah. In the destination yeah, yeah. The place, yeah. she can travel. Right. Again, scholars have also connected it with the distance itself. Mm. The Prophet said in one narration, three days and three nights. Yeah. In another narration, one day and one night. Right. Now, uh, the journey by uh, aeroplane in our times happens within a day or, or a night. Ah. Some have connected with day and night. Why? Why day and night, three nights? Because in the desert, if you're traveling uh, a long journey, you are exposed to. Some they uh, they invoke the hadith of the end times in which the Prophet said there will be such justice and safety uh, in the end times when the Muslim rule is established that a woman will come from uh, Yemen yes. and she will perform Umrah or yeah. she will come to the Haram without any and she will not have any fear except of the wild animals. Yeah. Now they say, see, the Prophet would never give example of something which is Haram. Yeah. So as long as it's a disagreed upon matter, let yeah. the scholars take uh, the decision based on the situations. Mm. See, that's why I said we must differentiate between fatwa and hukum. Mm. As a norm in a society, as a scholar, I may give a ruling which I think is better for maintaining Islam in that society. But fatwa of a person should be based on his particular condition. Mm. So fatwa is different. That's why there are additional conditions for a mufti. In Shafi'i Madhab also, which takes the opinion that it's haram to travel without mahram, mm. they give ease in Hajj in a journey which is daruri, which is a necessity. Yani, you have a medical procedure or something like that, mm. a necessity. They say Hajj is uh, a great uh, ibadah. And, uh, generally, Muslims uh, who don't belong to the Arabian Peninsula, they go, they perform Hajj once in a lifetime. So they say, if uh, a woman is traveling in a group, a safe group, she can uh, guarantee her safety and her honor and whatever, she can perform hajj. Why did they create ease? If the original ruling, and if you're loyal to the text, you're a shafi and you're loyal to the text, the Prophet forbade, where did this ease come from? This ease comes from uh, applying your aql and intellect in understanding the text. And, underst and also, Appreciating the human condition. Mm. This woman wants to perform Hajj, a great ibadah. And she wants to travel without a mahram. And now I think the Saudi regime has also uh, it has given ease yeah. in these matters. Yeah. Um, another, another controversy, which seems to always be a controversy, and, and it is that of... Um, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I don't want to take positions. Ah. Because 
this is not the purpose of uh, no. thinking Muslim podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not muftis here. Yeah, we're yeah. not giving akam. Yeah. We just want to uh, Nova foster, yeah. foster thinking yeah. Yeah. and uh, create a, an epistemological plane yeah. where Muslims can engage. So I gave, I did not give a precise answer. I did not take any position. Mm. In my personal life, as I said, I follow Shafi Madhab. I'm not a mujtahid mutlaq. Mm. But in some matters, uh, as a raised Muslim who understands the methodology, I may shift from Shafi Madhab. I mm. take other opinions when I face hardship. Mm. Uh, I'm not so strict in that. But uh, more important than taking just positions, as I said, Muslims eventually will take a position. Mm. Every community has scholars. They will guide them and take positions. Yes. More than that, important than that, is understanding the rationale behind these positions. Yeah. In order to uh, yeah, give a space, let's give each other a space as long as we're not doing anything which is haram with agreement. Mm. Yes. Celebrating the Prophet Salam's birthday, that seems to be a very controversial subject on, on social media. I mean, how do you approach this, this problem? I personally think that this is a, a cultural masala. Mm. Celebrating incidents, celebrating uh, occasions of the past. Yes. Like, what is the ruling of uh, celebrating marriage anniversary? Mm. What is the ruling? This question is absurd. Why are you asking me about the ruling? You can, uh, yeah, you should ask me if you can stop me if I do something haram on that occasion. Yes. What is the ruling on celebrating uh, uh, success in life? I was successful on a particular a degree, a degree, or yeah. celebrating the, the the battles, right? Celebrating the birthday. Mm. I think these are cultural matters. Right. We have messed them. We 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 have, uh, and we, we wrongly understand these matters. So maulid yes. is a cultural matter, mm. and uh, again, it's a disagreed upon masala. Even if we connect it with, we consider it a religious issue. Mm. We have, see the stagnation and uh, reductionism here. Yeah. Another example. Yeah. When a person asks you, what is the dalil of maulid? Yeah. Do you have any ayah in the Quran? Mm. Hadith of the Prophet? Yes. Did Sahaba celebrate? And uh, you're confused, perplexed. You don't have any dalil. Yeah. It means it is an innovation. A bidah. The conclusion is based on reductionist understanding of Dalil. What do you mean by Dalil? Yes. When you ask me, what is the evidence? What do you mean by evidence? Mm. Where is the evidence of riba in currency? You based it on Qiyas. No ayah or hadith. If you say evidence means a particular ayah or a particular hadith, uh, you're completely wrong. No scholar in history considers only Ayah, explicit ayah or hadith and evidence. There are many evidences based on uh, Quran and Sunnah. Mm. Another mistake which we do is, did the Sahaba celebrate? No, they did not celebrate. Which means it's a bid'ah. Mm. I'm going to the methodology part. Yes. Huh? It's a bid'ah. The question, this, this question is wrong. It should be like this. Do we have anything narrated from the Sahaba they did that they celebrated? We don't have anything narrated. So does Adamun Nakl, the absence of narration, does it necessitate that it was not present? This is disagreed upon. Mm. 
everything was cultural practices of the prophet and do we have the the food habits of the prophet generally we have the adab or other chapters of adab in in the hadith mm. but we don't have his schedule every day yeah what was his breakfast and then lunch and dinner cultural practices we don't have what was narrated to us is the basic deen the principles and the rituals which are important everything has not been narrated another problem with this masala is the issue of tark if there was possibility of doing something for the prophet or the sahab and they did not do it hmm. does it become bid'ah this is called the the issue of tark uh, abstaining uh, from an action right so these are this you know there are treatises and books compiled on the masala of tark only in usul al-fiqh usuliyun contemporary scholars also masala of tark so what the prophet did not do because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he abstained from some actions for for different reasons he abstained from an action so that it doesn't become obligatory on the muslims he abstained from an action or he did an action sometimes he would take uh, the mafdul action he would take a uh, 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 less preponderant opinion or action mm. he would follow that in order to create ease for the ummah li bayan al jawaz as they say to explain the permissibility only mm. that's why the scholars of usul they agree on accepting and taking ahkam from aqwal of the prophet from sayings of the prophet but there is disagreement about af'al of the prophet actions because actions have probability different probabilities so the prophet abstained from this action does not necess- necessarily mean that it is a bid'ah this matter should be understood and coming back to the question uh, do we have a dalil if by dalil you mean an ayah hadith or particular action of the prophet or sahaba we don't have but if by dalil you mean asl you mean an evidence which can incorporate this far this uh, action we have according to the scholars who are of this opinion that we can celebrate mm. like imam ibn hajar al asqalani he says the hadith of fasting on mondays it can serve as asl for this action of celebrating the maulid how so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was asked why do you fast on mondays he said because i was born on this day mm. what does it mean it means the day in which the prophet was born carries fadila virtue and it's important and the prophet used to fast as a as thanksgiving as a sign of gratitude because he is the rahma he is the greatest ni'ma and mercy for all mankind so ibn hajar says this is asl now do you understand the difference between uh, stagnant and reductionist method and a proper approach so in reductionist stagnant method where is the dalil by dalil ayah hadith we don't have that because this is a wrong method mm. asl do we have uh, a foundation it can be ayah it can be hadith it can be ijma it can be qiyas which can serve as the foundation for these furu for these branches we have mm. but still it's disagreed upon and another point is how to celebrate now this is a cultural matter right in celebration if we are doing things which are mubah permissible we're meeting each other having good food good food this, yeah. these are this is permissible with the agreement of scholars yeah but if we indulge in things which are haram i mean going to the grave uh, lighting the candles 
and considering this a sunnah or considering this an act of uh, ibadah, this has been declared bid'ah mm. by the scholars. And again, looking to the condition of the ummah, we must use these opportunities in reviving the seerah of the ummah, uh, seerah of the Prophet wasallam, discussing about the seerah, giving lessons to the because Muslims generally, the majority is disconnected from Islam. This is an opportunity, a day when we can revive. What is the problem in reading the seerah on this day? And we have this Mawlid literature. Now, this is another thing which is very interesting. Mawlid literature, we have books of seerah. Mm. And then we have books, Mawlid, brief treatises on seerah of the Prophet. Some are just about the virtues of the Prophet. Some are the birth of the Prophet and where he died, where he lived. And the scholars uh, in history, they would compile these treatises for uh, rulers as well, for kings. And the kings would uh, generously reward them to create an atmosphere mm. for love of the Prophet, his seerah, and uh, also uh, giving this legacy, transferring this legacy to our next generations. Mm. So again, in this masala also, we should lift ourselves above stagnation and reductionist way. So, you can take the other opinion. Yes. You can, a person may uh, declare it a bid'ah. I don't want to do anything on this day. Mm. Fine. We have scholars who adopted this opinion. But give space to others. Mm. The likes of Ibn Hajar. And Maulid literature, we have great muhaddithun, Hafiz al-Iraqi, Jaladuddin al-Suyuti. These great minds. You cannot declare everything mubtadir. Mm. So let's give space and use these opportunities in a Sometimes the problem is uh, misapplication of yeah. Akram. Yeah. When we misapply rulings, it creates a wrong, it gives a wrong message. So misapplication of Mawlid should be rejected. Wallahu mm. a'lam. Sheikh Shahbani, um, I'm enlightened by your, um, your reasonableness in the way you discuss Islam. If someone wanted to study uh, with you in in greater detail how would one access your um, your classes we have this uh, platform darul ilm i'm teaching on that the ongoing course which we are teaching now is islamic worldview mm. understanding the higher principles of worldview uh, ontology epistemology history now we, we are talking about politics we have reached uh, the political ideas of imam ibn khaldun we'll move to imam al-juwaini and stuff so this is what I'm doing now. I'm teaching online yes. from this platform. Yeah. And we are uploading uh, the lessons for free on YouTube. You can follow that. and You can join uh, the Telegram groups we are running. Uh, you can engage uh, with the teachers. And also, I live in Istanbul. Anyone who comes to visit me here, uh, most welcome. Uh, we can sit and discuss the matters. Whatever yeah. I'm capable of, I will do it, inshallah, for myself and for the ummah and for the students of knowledge inshallah thank you very much for your time today jazakallah assalamu alaikum allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this effort and give us sincerity inshallah wa alaikum salam wa please remember to subscribe to our social media and youtube channels and head over to our website thinkinmuslim.com to sign up to my weekly newsletter jazakallah khair 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.